Welcome to We Hear Her. I am Erin Trenbeth Murray. And I am Jennifer Bean. We're here today with another amazing woman who's sharing her story and insights to lessons learned. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Jennifer Bean. We're happy you're here listening to We Hear Her. Today, I'm with Nylan McBain, who is a small business owner and advocate, and I can't wait to learn more about what that means. Um, tell us where you're at right now. So about seven months ago, I actually acquired a small software company, and this was a brand new journey for me. I've worked in marketing for large retail companies, small retail companies, online, offline. I've worked in an advertising agency before, but uh, this was this has really been a new journey to actually acquire a, a small company and yes. take it over myself and run it all on my own. So it's been a great adventure. And it's called Duet Partner. Now it's right? called Duet Partner. Now I, it is. I, yes, I renamed it. Um, it's a it's a company that provides uh, studio management tools for independent music teachers. So think your neighborhood piano teacher who has, you know, 50 students that she's juggling all through yeah. the week. It helps her manage her roster, manage her communications, her billing, her calendaring, her tax preparation, mileage tracking if she's driving to lessons, a studio website for oh, her, wow. all of that. So Wonderful. I know, yeah. And you're loving it so far? I am. You know, I don't think I would ever considered acquiring a business. You know, I come yeah. from the background uh, in business where if you sell a company, you do it through an IPO and it's billions of dollars and, you know, <laughs> some institutional investor or VC might get involved. But this uh, through the Small Business Administration program, you know, these are businesses that are five, six, maybe seven figures okay. uh, that you and I can acquire through a loan. And, um, you know, of course, paying back the loan is definitely on, on at the front of my mind all the time. Sure, sure. But, but it's manageable. And now Good. I get to have this really wonderful lifestyle business that I get to grow for who knows how long. And evolve into what you want it to be. Exactly. Huh? I have a feeling you've been doing that um, for quite a bit of your life. Tell me yeah. a little bit about what was before Duet Partner, and let's go all the way back. Okay, to... yes, I've had a very varied career, and Good. I think um, for women of our generation, that's a wonderful thing that we're able to do these days, really, because I started off um, as an English major in college, as a reader and a writer, uh, but then I went into marketing, okay. and I... Uh, I started at walmart.com actually in the <laughs> Bay Area and I didn't even know what Walmart was. I had never been in a Walmart. Oh. I was raised in New York City. Um, I thought Walmart was Walgreens because that's what we had in New York. <laughs> but I ended up having an amazing apprenticeship there for about seven years right out of college um, where I really learned how to do consumer marketing at the very highest level. Wonderful. And um, so, so that was really fantastic. I moved from there to uh, an, a small children's clothing company, and then, um, and then I started having children. Well, yes. actually, actually, after my third child was born was when I actually took some time off and kind of reassessed. And in that period, I actually started a nonprofit okay. and was able to find something that was much more flexible for for my time with my young children at home. Um, you know, through throughout the last 10 or 15 years, I've also gone back to agency life. I went to an advertising agency back in-house at another educational technology startup. So, yeah. so a lot of different things, but um, I've gone back and forth between the for-profit businesses and nonprofit um, endeavors throughout 
Wonderful. Really the last 15 years. Wonderful. So uh, you moved from the Bay Area. You were raised there, is that I was right? raised in New York City. Oh, that's right. That's right. New York yeah, City. And, um, and then I spent my post-college years in San Francisco. Then we went to Boston for my husband's uh, graduate school, back to New York, and then we moved here to Utah 13 years ago. So when I moved to Utah, I had never lived in a house. Oh my goodness, that yeah. is an interesting bit of trivia. Yeah, and let me tell you, apartments are underrated. I can't, I can't, I can't wait to get back to an apartment. So. Where you have someone who can help you manage exactly. your property. Yes, yeah. exactly. I don't know what the green stuff is out there. But <laughs> somebody mow it. Somebody do something with that, exactly. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about growing up in New York City. Yeah, so um, I was the only child of a Wall Street lawyer and a professional opera singer. So my mom sang for 18 years at the Metropolitan Opera, and I was raised to be her accompanist in residence, is what she called me. So oh, I, I love it. So I was just on-demand accompanying, um, <laughs> and uh, but but was a serious pianist um, all through high school and college, and um, it was an amazing way to grow up. I mean. Yeah. Being raised as an arts kid in New York is the best, and um, it's what I love. It's what my family loves. We love the performing and the visual arts. That's kind of our family culture. Yeah. Um, so you know, I, my parents separated when I was young, and I was really just kind of, you know, my mom's BFF, and the two of us just <laughs> had a, we're a lot the best of fun duo, together. Huh? We were. We were a great duo. Yeah. Was she a good mentor to you? Oh, Do you look I at mean, her tremendous. in that way. I mean, this yeah. was New York in the 1980s. Um, you know, and so obviously there we had a lot of we had we had friends who were professional women, um, but you know my mom was a mentor and example to everyone, yeah. even you know even outside of of the artistic community. I mean, my um, my I went to an all girls school for twelve years, one of the the prep schools on the east side, and you know even my friends uh, from from school remember when my mom came to present to us, oh. right? Because she just had a wonderful, confident personality. She had this international career. And so even for and something this... something unique. And, and, and something very unique, yeah. yeah. And um, they remember her singing for us. And oh. and so I was always extremely proud of her. And um, never it never really crossed our minds that she was balancing things. I mean, she, she would talk about yeah. balance and how she was achieving it. But at the same time, she was always very realistic and honest about the fact that she had one child and a very flexible job. Right, right. And that's what kind of made it yeah. all possible. And I had nannies work. the whole time I was growing up who I loved and it was it was a great it was great. Um so but she was always very upfront about that. Like I'm not, you know, <laughs> running home to cook dinner from scratch for my five children after a full day at the office kind of thing. That was not what was going <laughs> that, on. That was not what yeah. it was. What do you admire most about your mom looking back now and realizing that you're a mom now and you know the conversation could have looked different. Yeah because of what the reality brings. My mom just had so much uh, self-awareness uh, self and just confidence and presence of mind. Yeah. She just knew exactly what she was doing and nobody was gonna tell her that she couldn't. And it wasn't in any way angry or uh, a sort of, you know, she wasn't, you know, burning her bra or, right. you know, and whatever she came of age in the 1970s really and started her career in the early 70s. So she didn't take on that sort of persona. Um, she took on the very best of that sort of mid-century feminist movement uh, and, and just practiced it in her own individual, private way. way. Yeah. yeah. And that was really, I mean, that just, I just kind of grew up in that aura and just assumed that I, 
I could do that. And too. it was a gift maybe you were given without even really accepting it. Is yeah. living beside that had to have a great impact. What do you um, what do you cherish about being a mother? Oh, be about being a mother now. I have three teenage daughters. Three teenage daughters. Let's and just I all love, take a breath. I love teenagers. <laughs> I actually I, you know, I, yeah. I'm having a lot more fun now than I've ever had at any other time of life. I was really happy to have a job to go back to when they were right. really little. <laughs> right. You're um, like, that's my break. That's my yeah, true vacation. It's true. And so as they've gotten older, I've re required and kind of maneuvered more and more flexibility in my, yeah. in my work, yeah. which I think is interesting because a lot of times in the United States, at least, we say, oh, the time that you want to take, you know, is when they're babies and newborns and toddlers, you want to be there for them. I think I think it's the exact opposite, <laughs> um, and I'm really glad that I did it that way. And it was yeah. a little bit by ha happenstance. That's just kind of when the jobs were and what. I, right. But I was definitely I was definitely I definitely struggled when they were little. I was definitely yeah. like that because you're in your peak ambitious years. You know, I was in my late 20s and early yeah. 30s, and um, and so now I feel like I've climbed the ladder. I've gotten I've got a skill set. Um, I feel a little bit at peace with what I've accomplished so far. Right. right. And now they're so interesting and fun, and they need. They still need drives places, but yeah. it's more like the emotional support and just, I agree. and, you know, making sure they have their dresses for winter formal and that you're, yeah. I'm hosting 50 kids at my house on Friday night, you know, all of that stuff. Right. And it's and time. It is. It is. It's always time. And I have, so I'm, I'm straddling the fence a little bit. I have a 22 year old and then 18 and 16, but I will agree with you. I, I took that window of time when they were younger to be at home, avoid daycare, some of those kinds of things. But gosh, standing beside them in life right now um, is, is a really unique experience and one that I certainly want to be present for as well, right? And well, you're a few years ahead of me, but I, I mean, I'm not expecting motherhood to end. You know, right. When they go off to college, right? It better not, because yeah. I still call my mom. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so, yeah, I think there's a lot, there's going to be a lot more to it even in the next few years. Yeah. What do you see as the challenges that your girls are facing that may or may not be um, different or harder or easier than the ones you faced? But what do you see that, that they're really, you know, working to, to navigate right now? Yeah, I, I mean, I definitely. <laughs> it's a big um, question. I think I think it's very hard to be a kid of any any you know any identity at yeah. this at this point. Um, for and and I think a lot of people would say social media, but I mean, there was plenty of image pressure for me growing as a girl growing up in New York City mm -hmm. in the nineteen eighties. And, you know, not to diminish what my daughters are going through with social media, but... But it existed. It existed. Yeah. And, I mean, you know, yeah, they may, you know, teens today might poo-poo, you know, the Cosmo on the right. newsstand is like, that's not the same thing. And maybe it's not. But um, but there was a lot of that pressure on me as a girl in the 1980s. What I didn't have, I think, is this broader context of geopolitical and climate uh sort of trauma coming yeah. down from the outside. Yeah. Like I just felt like, oh, the world's just gonna keep going the way like, it is. Like this is like, normal. There's there might nothing be wrong some like uprising it. in Poland and the wall's gonna fall in Berlin. <laughs> but you know, things are just gonna go right. And my girls feel every day that like something in their future is gonna be different, right? 
there's a looming, be a looming, a, a sort of looming aspect of like, what are we going to have to handle? What are we, you know, and it could be, you know, the earthquake we had here, but then, sure. it's, then I think obviously COVID was just the manifestation of that come true in their lives. Right. right? And all just geopolitical elements that, that are just so much closer to home because they can get on their phone and read the news. You in know a what? Way that's that I such couldn't. a good way to put that. And that in some ways it's, I, I, I look about what my kids are aware of and know and have context about. And it's something that for me, I, I look back and feel like maybe I was a little bit naive oh, to totally, that because yeah. the access um, and the platforms weren't there for that. Totally. And, um, and you saw the Berlin Wall fall. Berlin Wall fall on the nightly news. And that was it. That it's was not all... like you were reading commentary about it on your phone at school for the next two months you know exactly. or whatever and then everyone had an opinion and was, right, and was exactly. taking a platform yeah, on it yeah. i know You're like yeah the wall fell okay moving on you know? <laughs> exactly. know. at least that's what i did i you know what and that's kind of how i remember it too and there wasn't for better or worse not necessarily a huge global context to right. what and i think that's that's such a good point that that for for a multitude of reasons kids are feeling like there's just something out there that's that's looming and maybe at the point of and breaking fragile. and very fragile mm -hmm. yeah and the berlin wall is a bad example because that was a happy thing right right we're talking about like yeah sad but, things but looming even on them. but even still yeah it, it is it also um makes you realize that almost every issue can be a big issue mm -hmm. right now i think that's that's another that's another challenge. Yeah. Who is your um, role model? You may have already spoken of her, but I was just wondering who you would name as one of your most impressionable women in your life. Yeah. Um, well, obviously my mother, I've spoken and written a lot about my mother. My mother was a role model to a lot of people um, yeah. in, um, and, and a very, and a public figure who a lot of people knew and respected. Um, but there, I mean, there are a couple of other women um, one of her close friends, in fact, who I grew up with in New York, um, who works in finance and was a, a real, real pioneer in Wall Street finance herself, um, is a great role model of mine. I, locally here, um, I have, I've looked up to Ruth Todd for a decade. Oh, Do you, are you familiar with Ruth? A little bit. Yeah. I'm sure you could teach me a lot. Yeah, but she's I know at the New Skin name, yeah. now, and she's been a great mentor to me and a big champion of, of really every, every aspect of work that I've done. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I think it just mostly, mostly just personal acquaintances who, um, it, but that's one reason I'm excited about this project because, yeah. you know, here in Utah, it is less common to be able to connect with professional women who are local here and who are right. Really, um, right. excelling in their industries. So yeah, but you've done a lot of work in that area. Tell me a little bit about... Is it a better Utah? Better, better days. days. Better yes. days. That's what yes. it is. We, it was called Better Days 2020. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about what you learned um, about Utah women. Yeah. So we are pioneers through and through, aren't we? We, we continue to be pioneers yes. after, we, after we arrived in the Valley. Um, so in about 2016, uh, a, a, a friend of mine and I read the biography of Emmeline B. Wells. Yeah. And... Um, she is a name that we hope is a household name here in, in Utah eventually. But um, the, the bio, she was a woman who, who, who lived, uh, who came across the plains with the Mormon pioneers from yeah. Nauvoo when she was about 16, 17. She got here when she was about 18 years old. 
Um, she'd already lost a baby and a husband at that oh, time. At such a young She age. was a, a plural wife of a, a, a leader in the, in the church at that time. And over the next decades, uh, sort of after we leave the pioneers behind, and we get into the later 19th century when okay. Utah Territory is trying to become a state, she rises as the suffrage leader here in Utah. But not just here in Utah. The thing to realize about um, the Utah women and the Utah suffrage movement here was that it was a leader in the national movement. In the, so, in the, yeah, so we were she, leading other states. We were yeah. leading the nation. In fact, Emmeline was one of Susan B. Anthony's right-hand women yeah. um, in traveling around the country and advocating uh, for the right for women to participate civically. And the reason that we had that high position is because uh, Utah was the first place a woman voted under an equal suffrage law in Fe on February 14, 1870. And so we were reading about this in this book, and she's from California, and I'm from New York, and we're like, everybody who was raised in Utah must know this, right? <laughs> this must just beca be because we're not from Utah. Yeah. But no, like, we didn't find it anywhere in I the Utah history curriculum. I learned it from you. Okay, well, there I you learned go. it from you, yeah. Yeah, not in the Utah history curriculum, taught in schools, not even mentioned in the Utah history textbook, you know, just just an absolute silencing of the story. Um, you know, and our diagnosis is mostly it has to do with the fact that the work for suffrage here in Utah was inextricably intertwined with the practice of plural marriage yeah. by the early Latter-day Saints. And so that's just like, we don't know what to do with that. We're like, <laughs> we're not going to touch that. We'll put that over we'll there for a minute. But, you know, what's happened is that we silenced all these women's stories because of who they were married to, which is a very anti-feminist stance to take. Yes. So, so we started a four-year project to, um, to educate Utahns about this remarkable history in women's advocacy and uh, in preparation for 2020, which was the 150th anniversary of that first female vote here in Utah. And then it was the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment nationwide, which was the amendment that gave women the right to vote in federal elections across the country. I love that you've sort of uncovered this. Not even being a Utah native, you've uh, taken off sort of that that stigma of what our women have provided. What are, is there, do you have any last and final thoughts? They probably won't be final. I, I love that you're constantly evolving and tracking with um, what's coming in current, but that you would like Utah women to know about who we are and where we come from and, and what's ahead. Yeah, I, I think most, you know, having lived here for 13 years, I find this tendency in Utah women to feel uh, very much alone and just feel like they have yeah. to kind of claw their way through this a path that they, that they forge for themselves without the support of, um, you know, without the emotional or financial or cultural support of their community. And I think that that's, you know, far off, too, too often the, the, the case. case. Yeah. However, I mean, what the purpose of Better Days 2020 uh, was and, and what I hope to be able to convey to Utah women generally is that we've done this all already. Like you might yeah. not be, you might, you might, you might, might not have the, the, the volume of mentors and examples around today, uh, but you can look in the past and those women I mean, they can be your sort of, you know, guardian angels as you sure. forge whatever path you want today because it was an incredibly um, fruitful and rich and progressive time here in Utah, specifically around uh, women and women's careers and women's advocacy, women's education yeah. and women's leadership. And um, that's in our DNA as Utahns. I was just going to say that is something that I like 
knowing is sort of in our spirit. Totally. Yeah. Well, Nyland, thank you so much thank for you. sharing what all you've done, what's inspired you. I'm excited to continue working with you. I am too. And um, thank you for all the work you've done to bring to light what Utah women are all about. Thank you. Of course. Thank you for taking time to hear her. Join our efforts and learn more at womenwhosucceed.org. A big thank you to our sponsor, the Clark and Christine Ivory Foundation.